everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are talking about the case of the Lulu Lemon murder. So this case, it's a crazy one, okay? When I first heard this story, I was shocked. And the reason today's case is known as the Lululemon murder is because it takes place inside a Lululemon store. And if you don't know, Lululemon is a high-end workout clothing store, particularly famous for their yoga leggings, which are very very expensive. And one day inside one of these Lululemon stores, something absolutely horrific would happen to one of its employees. And the person behind this tragedy was just about the last person you'd expect. So this is a shocking case with a lot of twists and turns. A retail store is possibly one of the last places you'd expect a murder to occur. So let's just dive right in. This particular Lululemon store was located in Bethesda, Maryland, which is quite a wealthy suburb and is very popular with workers from Washington DC because it's only like 10 miles away. So on Saturday, the 12th of March, Rachel, who is a manager at Lululemon, arrives at work at the Bethesda store. She arrives at around 8 a.m. And when she arrives at the store, the door is unlocked, which is obviously not normal. So she immediately starts panicking. I mean, I think we all would. And as she entered the store, she was shocked by the chaos that was in front of her. There was clothes on the floor, mannequins had been knocked over. There was even a TV that had been like ripped off the wall and was smashed on the floor. So her mind immediately went to, oh my God, we've had a break-in. But then she saw blood. So she immediately rushes out of the store and she comes across this young man called Ryan who was outside. He was actually queuing outside the Apple store, which was located next door. He was queuing because Apple had released their iPad 2 when he was in line to get his iPad 2. So Ryan sees Rachel rushing out of this store and she's quite clearly distressed. And he goes over to her and wants to know what's going on, if anything's wrong and if he can help. So after Rachel describes what she found in the store to Ryan, he offers to go into the store for her and check things out a little bit further. Even though I don't think Paul Ryan at the time knew exactly what he was gonna come across. So he enters the store very apprehensively, as you can imagine, and he sees the chaos that Rachel saw and he starts to make his way to the back of the store. And as he's moving towards the back of the store, the situation is becoming more chaotic. There is more blood. There is just more things on the floor thrown around. spots a door right at the back of the store that's kind of slightly ajar so he goes towards the door he wants to see what's going on because it does look like there's a lot of blood coming from this room so he goes to push the door open and he can't there is some resistance it's like something is blocking the way so he pushes the door a little bit harder and the door does open and he's absolutely horrified because the door was being blocked by a body and there was blood everywhere. There was blood sprayed all up the walls. There was blood all over the floor. The body was in a pool of blood. There was just so much blood everywhere and the body had so many injuries. Ryan couldn't even identify whether the body was a male or a female at the time. That's how extreme the injuries were. Ryan turns to leave the store. However, as he does so, he kind of hears 
like a muffled groan coming from one of the staff toilets. He did go and check it out and I can't even imagine what is going through his mind right now. He must have been absolutely terrified. I mean, he got up that Saturday morning, just thought it was going to be a normal day. I mean, obviously they all did, but Ryan just went to get his iPad too. But he went to the staff toilets and he could see some legs sticking out of the bathroom door. And as he gets closer, he finds a woman that is also covered in blood. She has quite a substantial injury to her head. Her body is covered with like small cuts everywhere. The crotch area on her leggings had also been completely savagely removed and she was tied up with zip ties. Her hands and her feet were like completely bound, but thankfully she was still alive. Ryan could see that she was breathing. So when the emergency services arrived, the body that Ryan came across first, the one that was just so badly injured, he couldn't even identify them. She was identified as a woman whose name was Jaina Murray and very tragically, she was pronounced dead at the scene. Now, Jaina Murray was 30 years old or should I say 30 years young? She was so incredibly young and she was just somebody that everybody loved. She always had this huge smile on her face. She was always happy to help. And she just really lived life to the full. She was very adventurous. She traveled the world. She was definitely like an adrenaline junkie. She loved skydiving and rock climbing and bungee jumping. <laughs> and at the time of her murder, she was actually studying for her master's degree at John Hopkins University for business and communications. And she actually studied Lululemon as a company as part of her degree, because um, she just loved the ethos and the philosophy behind the brand. She loved that kind of way of life. So one of her professors actually encouraged her to get a job at Lululemon. And that is how Jaina ended up working at the Lululemon store. She was also in a happy and loving relationship. She had known her boyfriend since the seventh grade and what was so incredibly tragic is that he was planning on proposing so the other woman that was found at the scene the one that was in the bathroom was also a lululemon employee and she was identified as Brittany norwood and she was 28 years old and luckily like i said she was still alive she did survive this brutal attack and she was rushed straight to hospital and she did have one major injury to her head but very luckily a lot of her other injuries were very superficial like the cuts all over her body had actually gone that deep so because her injuries weren't that bad the police were able to talk to her relatively quickly and get an account of what exactly happened in that store so Brittany started by telling the police that both her and Jaina were on the late shift on Friday the 11th of March the night before and they closed up the store around 10 p.m and Jaina made her way home she got in her car to drive home and Brittany made her way home by walking to the metro station. However, when she was nearly at the metro station, she realized that she could not find her metro card anywhere. So she just assumed that she'd left it at work. So she did phone Jaina because Jaina was also a manager at the store and she was the only one with keys. So she phoned Jaina to see if she could let her in the Lululemon store so she could get her metro card so she could go home, which of course Jaina did. So when Jaina arrived at the store, she just left her car parked outside of the store both her and Brittany went into the store, they left the door unlocked and they started looking for the Metro card, but they couldn't find it. And after 10 minutes or so, Jaina was just like, Brittany, have my Metro card. We'll look for yours tomorrow. It's, it's not a big deal. However, when they went to leave the store, two men appeared 
Out of nowhere, they were dressed head to toe in black and they were both wearing ski masks. The first man struck Jaina, which knocked her out. And then the second man also struck Brittany and grabbed her by her hair and dragged her to the back of the store. Brittany tried to resist the man, but he was very aggressive. He was using very aggressive, violent language. He was using a lot of racial slurs. So the man dragged Brittany to the bathroom where Ryan found her the next day and he threw her on the ground and began cutting her all over her body. And then he cut open the crotch of her leggings and started to rape her. And after he continued to sexually assault her with a wooden coat hanger, whilst this attack was happening on Brittany, Brittany could kind of hear what was going on with Jaina. She could hear lots of shouting and screaming and like thuds. And as time went on, Brittany said that Jaina's screams were just getting quieter and quieter until they eventually just faded away. At this point, Brittany did manage to get away from her attacker and she tried to make her way to Jaina. And while she was telling the police this, she was crying uncontrollably, which obviously you can understand. And she just kept repeating to the police, there was so much blood. There was so much blood. That's what she just kept repeating over and over to police. However, she didn't really get to Jaina. She saw Jaina, but she didn't really get to do anything. She didn't get to help her in any way before her attacker knocked her down again, dragged her back to the bathroom. And this is when he tied her up with the zip ties. Brittany was quite clearly suffering with survivor's guilt. She was blaming herself for what had happened to Jaina. She just kept saying, if I hadn't lost my Metro card, if I hadn't asked Jaina to go back to the store, this wouldn't have happened. Jaina was so innocent. It was at this point that Brittany asked how Jaina was doing. She didn't even realize that Jaina had died. An autopsy was carried out on Jaina and it was discovered that Jaina had sustained a total of 331 injuries. There actually could have been more, but that was just the amount that they could identify because some of the injuries could have been layered and they could only class that as one, if that makes sense. And based on the evidence from the crime scene and the injuries sustained, these 331 injuries were made with at least seven weapons, which included a hammer, a wrench, two box cutters, a rope, a little metal peg that was a part of a mannequin. And what is extremely, just absolutely horrific to hear is that Jaina was alive for this entire attack. She was fighting for her life for this whole attack. And then the very last injury was a stab wound to the back of her neck, which severed her spinal cord, which was the last fatal blow. And the way that they could tell that Jaina was alive throughout this whole attack is that all of the injuries had bruised in some kind of way or there was bleeding. And that could only have happened if Jaina's heart was still beating. Brittany couldn't give a very accurate description of the attackers because they were wearing ski masks. The only thing she could really tell the police was that one was very short and one was very tall. There was only one clue really at the crime scene to even give any indication of who these attackers were. And that was bloody footprints walked through the store and they were a size 14. Unfortunately, Lululemon didn't have any CCTV, which... I didn't realize it was a thing. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but I thought all stores had CCTV inside and outside. 
Um, but I don't know if that's just me that thought that, um, but Lululemon didn't have CCTV inside or outside of the store. However, luckily they were next door to an Apple store, which did have CCTV. So the police went to Apple to recover the tapes and on the footage, they saw none other than two men dressed head to toe in black, one tall, one short, walking past the Lululemon store at approximately the time of the attack. However, they couldn't see the faces from this footage, so they couldn't identify them. So one detective just decided to do an old fashioned stakeout to stake out the Lululemon store to see if the attackers would return to the scene. And miraculously, right on schedule, two men dressed in head to toe black, one tall, one short, walked past the Lululemon store. However, after questioning, these two men turned out to be completely innocent. They were actually waiters at a nearby local restaurant and they dressed in all black because that was their uniform. And they walked in that direction past the Lululemon store because that was their way home. So with no leads, the police returned to the Apple store because they also had CCTV uh, cameras inside the store. And on the night of the murder from 10 past 10, to 19 minutes past 10, it was clear that the Apple employees could hear a commotion coming from the Lululemon store. I mean, you can visibly see them on the CCTV footage walking over to the wall. So the police questioned the employees working that evening because they wanted to know exactly what they could hear and if that could give them any leads as to who these attackers were. And the Apple employees just said that they could hear a combination of screams, strange thuds and hysterical voices. They could make out two female voices. One angrily shouted, quote, talk to me, tell me what's going on. Why won't you tell me? And then the other female voice saying hysterically, quote, stop, Oh God, please help me God. And then the police were like, okay, two female voices. What about the male voices, which were the attackers? But the Apple employees said there weren't any male voices. There was definitely just the two female voices. And the police were so shocked and <laughs> I am so shocked at why the Apple employees didn't report this commotion. Why didn't they tell anybody? Why didn't they phone the police? Why didn't they tell the security that was at the Apple store? Because the Apple store always has security. Why didn't they tell anybody? And the Apple employees just said that they thought it was just a little bit of drama. <laughs> just a little bit of drama. So still with no leads, the police return to the crime scene. They look through everything again. They wanna see if there is anything that they missed, anything that could lead them to a suspect in any way. And this is when they start to look a little bit more closely at those set of bloody footprints that was walked through the store. And they were starting to get a little bit confused about these footprints. And there was another set of footsteps as well. And this was from a smaller shoe size. And the size 14 footsteps were always on top of the smaller set of footsteps. There was no overlapping whatsoever, which is what you would expect from a violent attack from the attacker and the victim going back and forth. You would expect some overlapping, but there wasn't, which is very, very strange. And then a shocking discovery was made. There was a size 14 pair of shoes in the Lululemon store and the print on the bottom of the shoe match identically to the bloody footsteps on the floor. The 
police return to Brittany and they ask her about these shoes. They're like, what's the deal with these shoes? Because they were just on a shelf. They were like, why is this random pair of shoes just on the shelf? And Brittany said that they belonged to the store and they just kept some pairs of shoes so customers could try on the leggings, the workout gear. And if they didn't have their own trainers, they could try on the store trainers. So that is why those size 14 trainers were just there. So now the police were getting a little bit suspicious. The crime scene was just not adding up. It was not as it first seemed. Firstly, they realized that all of the weapons that were used in the attack all came from a toolbox that belonged to the Lululemon store. The zip ties that were used on Brittany were also zip ties that belonged to the store. It just seems very strange that these two attackers came to the Lululemon store completely unprepared. They didn't bring their own weapons. They didn't bring anything. Like, wouldn't they at least like have something on them? The bloody footsteps as well never left the store. Another thing that was just extremely bizarre to the police was the differences between the injuries that Jaina had sustained and Brittany. Brittany, in comparison to Jaina, had come off relatively lightly. As well, the investigators were just a little bit confused about these attackers. I mean, they just seemed too evil to be true. I know it's not impossible to get people that evil. We all know those really infamous murderers, serial killers. Yes, you can get people that evil, but it's rare. And what's even more rare, yes, I know this happens as well, but it's rare to get two people so evil that are just on the loose together. So one detective kind of had a little revelation that was very shocking, hard to believe. He didn't even want to believe it himself. He said, quote, I don't think there were ever two masked men in that store. I think Brittany killed Jaina. Remember when Jaina drove back to the store to help Brittany look for her Metro card? Remember that she had her car and she parked outside of the store? Well, where was this car? Because the car was not outside the store. Well, the car was actually found three blocks away from the store and there was blood found all on the inside of the car. And when the DNA results came back, it showed that the blood belonged to both Jaina and Brittany. And it also indicated that only one person had been in the car following the attack. And that person was Brittany. So the police questioned Brittany about the car and Brittany claimed to not know what had happened to the car. And she also said that she had never been in the car. And obviously the police know that she's lying at this point, but they don't have any concrete evidence that Brittany killed Jaina at this point, so they can't arrest her. However, they were amazed that Brittany actually offered to come back into the station. And she said that she just had a little bit more information that she wanted to get off her chest. There was something else that she remembered. So now in another completely shocking twist, Brittany tells the police she was in the car of the night of the murder. And she wasn't just in the car, she drove it. She said that her attackers forced her to move the car because they didn't want the car outside the store because it might grab some attention. So they forced Brittany to move the car and threatened to kill her if she didn't return back to the store. So let's just get this straight. <laughs> Firstly, Brittany doesn't remember being in the car. And now all of a sudden she was in the car and she wasn't just in the car, she drove the car. She drove the car three blocks away. And then she walked back to the store. Brittany could have at any point 
gotten away. She could have kept driving. She could have alerted anyone. She even passed a police car. When she was driving this car three blocks away, she passed a police car. Yet she didn't think to tell them. She didn't think to stop. She didn't think to keep driving. She didn't think to get help for Jaina. I'm just like, at this point, I'm just like, what was going on in Britney's head? Did she truly believe that the police were gonna believe this story that she was telling? So at this point, the police just decide to come clean to Britney and say, look, we think you killed Jaina. And when the police say this, she instantly clams up and just repeatedly keeps saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. The police decide to bring Britney's brother into the room, thinking that maybe he could help. Maybe he could help her confess. So the police tell her brother everything that they have. After informing Britney's brother of everything that the police have, they leave the room. They say, we'll give you a minute. Let Britney calm down. Let her brother and Britney just process everything, digest the information. What they were secretly doing was leaving the room, hoping that Britney would come clean to just her brother. The first thing that Britney asks her brother, are there any cameras in this room? And her brother replies, no, I've checked. So Britney's brother straight away just comes out with it. Did you do this? With Britney responding, quote, I don't want to talk about it here. I mean, if you were innocent, your response would be no. Her brother was still pleading with her to tell him the truth, tell him what happened, with Brittany replying, I don't want everyone to be disappointed in me. It doesn't really sound like an innocent person. So I think at this point, her brother just assumes that she's guilty. So he starts to say, okay, we need to get you a good lawyer. We need to sort out this mess. Brittany then breaks down and starts crying and says, quote, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I honestly, it happened. I don't know what to do. Which, yes, she didn't actually say she did it. I mean, she kind of did. She said, I honestly paused for a brief second and then said, it happened, which... <laughs> is basically a confession. You wouldn't say that if you hadn't done it. They're in a police station, even though Brittany and her brother didn't realize they were being recorded, they were, and the police were actually watching all of this on a live stream. So at this point, because that was basically a confession, the police have enough evidence now to arrest Brittany Norwood for the murder of Jane Ann Murray. And what is so horrendous is that Jane's family found out about Brittany's arrest on the way to Jaina's funeral. What timing? That is the worst timing in the world. And they were numb with shock because they had thought Brittany had gone through this absolutely horrific attack with their daughter. They had so much sympathy for Brittany for going through this, for witnessing this. And then to find out that she has been arrested for the murder when you thought that she was also a victim. I can't even imagine what that would have done to Jaina's family. There was a plea deal on the table and it was up to Jaina's family whether to push for this deal or to go to trial and try and get the full sentence of life without parole. So remember that Jaina had sustained 331 separate injuries at least. Well, the average violent attack would consist normally of around 50 separate injuries. So there's a bit of a difference here. And also the attack on Jaina would have lasted approximately 15 minutes, which is actually a very, very long time when it comes to a violent attack. So this wasn't a crime of passion. This was a cold blooded murder. And Jaina's family didn't want to risk 
having someone like this one day be released and just be able to roam the streets. So they did go to trial, which was a very hard decision for the family because they would have to sit through all of the evidence and all of the details and basically have to relive the murder of their daughter. But they wanted to do it because they didn't want Brittany to one day be released. And at the trial, it came out that Brittany had quite a detailed criminal past. She had a long, and I mean a very long history of stealing. She would steal from even her family and her friends. And shockingly, Brittany had worked at a different Lululemon store and was caught stealing from that store, which is why she lost her job there. I don't know how she got another job, to be honest, but she did. She also had a history of violence. She was quite abusive to her ex-boyfriend when they were in a relationship and her ex-boyfriend had to get a restraining order on her because she was stalking him and his new girlfriend and she broke this restraining order within two weeks. She actually broke into her ex-boyfriend's home and stole some of his and his new girlfriend's possessions. So again, with the stealing. So the prosecutors finally laid out the motive of why they thought Brittany killed Jaina. In the weeks leading up to Jaina's murder, the employees at the Bethesda Lululemon store were starting to notice that their possessions were going missing. And this had only started happening since Brittany had started to work at Lululemon. There was a few other things as well that happened at the Lululemon store that the employees were a little bit suspicious of, but they didn't have any concrete evidence that it was Brittany stealing their possessions. So they all kind of agreed to just keep a lookout just to see, just keep an eye on Brittany. Lululemon have a policy that every staff member's bag must be checked at the end of the day. I think that's quite common in retail. Jaina checked Brittany's bag on Friday the 11th of March and she found a pair of leggings that weren't paid for, even though Brittany said that she had paid for them. Jaina didn't trust Brittany because of the past behavior. So she said that she would have to speak to the manager, Rachel, the next day. It was at this point that Brittany started to panic. She knew that she was gonna get caught for stealing because she actually did steal those leggings. She thought she was gonna lose her job again and she couldn't afford to lose another job. So after leaving the store, this is when she started to plan out what she was gonna do, how she was gonna lure Jaina back to the store. And that whole, I've lost my Metro card little story was completely fake. So as we know, Brittany did manage to lure Jaina back to the store. And this is where Brittany confronts Jaina. Do you remember the Apple employees that reported on what they could hear from the commotion in Lululemon? Do you remember that they said that one of the female voices was saying, tell me what's going on? Well, I think from this, we can assume that that was Brittany and she was confronting Jaina about what she was going to do, what she was going to say to Rachel. And I think at this point, she probably found out that all of the employees were kind of onto her stealing. And this is very sadly when the brutal attack on Jaina started. So after she murdered Jaina, this is where Brittany started to come up with the plan on how she was exactly gonna cover up this murder. She moved Jaina's car three blocks away because she was worried that the manager, Rachel, would see it because Rachel lived across the road from the store. And if she had seen Jaina's car, she would have alerted the police or maybe come over and interrupted Brittany's little plan. She then returned to the store, created the fake chaos, throwing the clothes around, tipping over the mannequins, ripping, I don't know how, ripping the TV from the wall. And then obviously her bloody footprints were all over the store. And this is when she needed to make it look like there was two male attackers in this store. So she put on the size 14 shoes that were in the store and she walked over her bloody footprints with new fresh bloody footprints. And that is why there was no overlapping because Brittany did them both. That is also why the footprints 
never left the store because Brittany never left the store, obviously other than moving China's car, but she didn't leave the store. She then realizes that she also needed to look like a victim of this attack. So she takes out a knife and starts cutting herself all over her body, as well as cutting open the crotch area of her leggings. Do you remember she had a really serious head injury? That was the only genuine injury that she had. And she sustained that during the attack on Jaina. She was repeatedly hitting Jaina and with the force and the momentum. And when she was pulling back from repeatedly hitting Jaina, she actually hit herself in the head. She also got some paper towels, soaked up some of Jaina's blood, put Jaina's blood on her own body and put Jaina's blood all over the floor in the bathroom to make it look like it was her own blood. She then got some zip ties, tied up her feet, tied up her hands that she did with her teeth and then raised her hands above her head and stayed in that position until somebody found her, which of course Ryan did. So after hearing all of this, it only took the jury minutes to decide that Brittany was guilty. And Brittany was found guilty of premeditated first degree murder and was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. And that is the case of the Lululemon murder, which is such a horrific, horrible, tragic, twisted, it's horrible. And that brings us to the end of the episode of the Lululemon Murder. Thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Maker. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios and I'll see you all in the next one. Thank you.